Hello and welcome to another episode of the Undercut Podcast. We are back this time with not quite a bonus episode, but more a... There's a big gap between F1 Grand Prix here and after that triple header, there was a lot that we just didn't have time to talk about. One of which was Formula 3, which not only had its triple header, but its final race and round of the 2022 season. And with it, Formula 3 always being incredibly chaotic, it deserves its own little podcast, so that is why we are here. So my name is Tim Daly, and as always, I'm joined by my excellent co-host, Jesse Billington. How are you today? Um, barely functional cerebrally. Um, still very tired getting back from Italy, a little bit sunburned, probably still de- dehydrated, and just sort of surrounded by holders in various states of emptiness, so... All is well on my end. I might fall asleep in half an hour. Who knows? We'll get the air horns ready just in case. And for F3, we thought who better to join us than F3, what should we call it, super fan. And super kind of, fan, I like it. It, Yeah, F3 super fan and friend of the podcast, Jacob Phillips. How are you today? I am very good, thanks, Timo. Happy to be on again talking all three F3, but also slightly sad and sombre as well that the F3 season has sadly come to an end. You do have quite a wait now for the 23 season, and you're probably going to go back and watch the entire history of it back when it was GP3. Um, but we'll leave that for a future time when you may have indeed gone back in that. And we'll move on instead to what the hell has happened, which we're going to take it round by round and hopefully not go on too many tangents about this so that we make this relatively coherent podcast for a change. And so we'll start off with Spa, which four main doggy points that I've written down, one of which being in the sprint race, when straight off the back from the summer break, we had a collision between Zane Maloney and Oliver Goth, if I'm remembering his first name correctly, I know it's Goth at the very least, which proved that the new gravel traps were kind of doing their job, because that could have been a much worse crash, and the Halo once again doing a very good job there of doing exactly what it should be doing, and so much so that Maloney was able to come back for the feature race and win it, which when you look at the turnaround there, not too bad. And go within fourth as well for the feature race, which you think if that had been, if the gravel traps hadn't necessarily been there or the halo hadn't been there, it could have been in very different circumstances. So didn't mean to kind of start the podcast off on such a heavy note, Jacob, but you were at Spy, you kind of saw this relatively live. You were as close as you physically could be to seeing that. So what did you make of that? I think I was about two kilometres away from the incident, so as close as I possibly could be. But um, it was a massive incident. I was sitting in the grandstand. It was actually bitterly cold for what was a August day at Spa. But I remember looking at the TV, because obviously you're watching it on the TV there. You can't see all bits of the track if you've ever been to a Grand Prix. And the next thing you know, there's a, there's a massive crash, and one of the bigger crashes of the season. And we talk about it quite a lot, don't we, that the Halo has done quite a good job. I was actually, for those who don't know, I've said it on the podcast many times before, that I was actually against the Halo. As some other people were as well. But I think, you know, this season, along with other incidents in F1, F2, and certainly other you know, famous incidents, we can look at Grand New Joe, for example, this year in the F1 as well, that the Halo is a very, very necess- necessary additive to, to motorsport in general. And it certainly did its job there as well. And, of course, the new gravel traps, as you mentioned there, that have been added to, I think, seven corners at Spa this year. So it was a, you know, remarkable crash and one that certainly t- took my breath away and the rest of the crowd along with, with it as well. So it was a scary incident, certainly the scariest incident that I saw that weekend, but, you know, a fantastic recover from Maloney. That's how you do it, isn't it? You know, one, one day you're you know in the gravel trap and looking like maybe you might not even race again the next day you know 
we didn't know how serious it was at the time, but to come back and win win the race the next day was you know fantastic. And it was great to hear the he's from Barbados, isn't he? From the Barbadian is that the, what you say? Barbudan. Barbudan. Is it Barbadian or Budan? If you listen to any of the commentary for F3, you would know automatically he's from Barbados because they had to mention it every five seconds when they got the opportunity. So much so that it's drummed in my head just about as much as Skyglass and Skyking customers are at this point. It does also say Barbados on the side of his car as well, like Bushy Park. Bushy Park, Barbados. yeah. Not, not yeah. that you'd even need it, but yes, if that's ever in a pub quiz, I'm at least getting that question. Name a racetrack in Barbados. Oh, Bushy Park. <laughs> How do you know that? Long story. But then, in the sprint race itself, Oliver Behrman was the winner there with Roman Sonic in second and Alex Smollier in third, which was interesting because, again, Great turnaround for Maloney and Goth for the feature race on Sunday because Maloney won the feature race and Goth in fourth with Roman Stanek interestingly again in second place with Oli Berman so a bit like F2 we were talking about in our F2 podcast triple header previously uh, some very interesting consistency going on there and kind of very essential for the championship kind of put Maloney and Berman right in the thick of it with two rounds to go there and showing that just a how good all these drivers are, especially the rookies. Maloney again, first first year in this, and as we will get into later in podcast, having absolutely storming three rounds, and just showing that it's going to be very hard for F two teams potentially to choose who they want to give a chance next year from this F three bar. Because on the one hand, rookies, and we see with rookies that they can be very good, and you you take Dennis Howard as the obvious example, stick him in F two immediately, but then you risk it and put them over a second year in a three which they maybe need to develop it because again if the, it's kind of a double-edged sword if they do really well in F2 then the following year and they're rookie year there what do they do after that because as, as we know the obvious goal is F1 but there might not be seats available for them in a couple of years where if it takes them three or four and they take their time with it if they're, they can prove more consistently that they're talented and that they are more deserving of it Whereas it could end up being a flash in the pan thing. So it's it's trying to find that balance. But that being said, pretty good way to start off the, the F3 return for the triple header. And interestingly, I would say, Jesse, the F3 that weekend, better than the F1. Yeah, there's been certainly some strong moments from the F3 and it, it's definitely provided a lot more action at points as well. There's been times where you sort of look at it and go, yeah, why the hell am I bothering to stick around for the rest of my Saturday or Sunday? Because that's providing exactly what you're expecting it to. I think calling it sometimes better than the F1, yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Sandfort, much like the F1, the F3 was good at Sandfort. Better than good, it was rather good. And after kind of a an interesting 2021 in the sense of even F3 and F2, well, not F2, rather, but F3 couldn't really save that last year. It was rather dull overall. Not the case this year. Zane Maloney, again, just pulling it out of the bag. He got pole position. David Schumacher came back out of nowhere. Sebastian Montoya joined Formula 3 and had an excellent debut, standing in for Hunter Yaney, who was out on injury. He got P8 in his sprint race in, the, in the, his first outing, which, again, very impressive. And then in the sprint race itself, you had Kyle Collette pipping one Manuel Correa to the, the win, which... It was nice for Colette, but painful for the career fans who wanted him to win desperately. And somehow it was his first F3 podium. And then rounding out the top three there. So happy with Colette Jacob or 
was he mean in beating Correa? He was, do you know what, we like, you know, surprise stories and sort of feel good stories here on the podcast. So I was, I actually didn't see the race, actually, I was busy, but I was sad to uh, to learn that he didn't win that race. It would have been nice and very surprised, as you say there, I think we talked about the time, Timo, that that was his first ever podium in, in Formula 3. And I could have sworn he stood on a podium before, unless it was... Unless they're thinking of GP3, maybe. But even then, that's a long time ago. So, you know, but then again, motorsport, you know, there's no always, well, sometimes there's no room for feel-good stories. So, Kai Collette's there to win races. And unfortunately, you know, he beat him. So, I'm happy for Collette as well. I think Collette's had a, you know, fairly good season as well. So, yeah, I was happy for him as well. Um, but fair. We'll move swiftly on to the future race then, where Zane Maloney, again, won the future race, which two for two at this point in, in a three-week triple header. Not bad from a certain boy from Barbados. He's from Barbados, in case you didn't know. Uh, Victor Martins in second place with Franco Colapinto in third. Then with Oliver Berman and Arthur Clerk in good crowvery drives, but I've written in my notes, ultimately showing their fundamental weakness in that qualifying is not yet their strong point. And as we've mentioned again in the F2 podcast, if you've listened to that episode yet, it's one of those things where, because of the reverse grid nature of the sprint race, if you're having a little bit of a duffer in qualifying, it can be salvaged. But if you're qualifying quite far down, and when you've got eight extra cars, then you have a Formula 2 for Formula 3, you're making quite a challenge for yourself. And Arthur Clerk seems to be a driver who does that a lot in terms of he's great at coming back through the pack, but for some reason over a single lap in qualifying, he just cannot put it together consistently. And is ultimately maybe why he didn't win the championship this year when many people were expecting to be he was agreed to be a title contender, but probably in more of a threatening way than he was in, it, despite how close it was. So, would you say that would be a fair assessment of Leclerc, Jacob? I'd say it's a very fair assessment of a fair assessment. Sorry, of Leclerc. And it's actually quite weird. It's you know, it's a real contrast to his brother, whereby his brother seems to be great on a Saturday, and this season proves it as well. He's got what eight poles to three wins, and his record, I think, over the history of his. Pole history, I think it's like what 19 poles to five wins or something stupid like that. So he really does need to sort his Saturday out as he goes up through the uh, through the categories as well. And as we know, like you said, there are eight extra cars, so there's that extra bit of work to do on race day. Which and also, I think there's a few other races I think might have been hungry as well. We had a few incidents, so I think that I really don't think he's the real deal to be honest. You know, obviously, it's a long way off being you know towards F1 and stuff, but. He's, he's really disappointed me, I guess, but maybe because he carries that name. If he didn't carry that name, then we wouldn't think anything of it. We just think, OK, he's a mediocre driver. But obviously there's that extra bit of pressure on his shoulders. But yeah, I, I don't really think he's had a great season, to be honest. And where does he go from here? I think, you know, if he has another season in F3, is that potentially damaging? You don't want to spend too long in that series. But is he ready for F2 at the same time? I'm not too sure either. So I think these next 12 months are going to be very interesting for Arthur. But yeah, I wouldn't say it was the greatest season at all, to be honest. And he didn't really impress me. Perhaps suffering from the Ralph Schumacher syndrome in terms of you have a very successful brother and you've got an impossibly high standard to live up to. But again, it's uh, it's kind of one of those things you've got to prove yourself in your own right and the name will only carry you so far. So if that means F3 for one more year next year, you, if you don't win it, then where do you go? Would you have a little bit more grace with you and you can get into F2 and really hope that you can, can nail it there? Time will tell on that one, but I will move on to Monza and asking Jesse about this because you were there, so you saw some of this. So I'll do a quick run through and then get your thoughts on it. Huntieni was back for Campos, so that was good to see him back and because he was out for quite a while on injury. Had a pretty non-eventful weekend, but all things considered, 
probably a quiet weekend is what he was after then, just so he can get back into the rhythm of things and helpful that he's there at the final race so he can show that he's still involved and probably can make a campaign again next year and hopefully improve upon these things. We then was a new addition to the F3 group, which was in the form of Alessandro Fagnolaro, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, who raced for Charis. He's a Venezuelan F4 race winner. And again, a bit like Yaney, just had a solid enough weekend getting to grips with everything. Sprint race saw Colapinto win, which by the most small of margins for even by a three standard, because that was a heck of a sprint race. Oliver Behrman hunting him down right up until the final corner on the final lap, but just couldn't get past him. If we'd had one more lap like Behrman thought he had, that would have been his to win, I think. Collett again making a appearance on podium for third place. And then the feature race, Zinkoli again somehow just dominating it on, on that one and winning his third feature race win in a row and finishing an incredibly strong rookie season for him. Behrman again, second place, not as close this time, but again showing that he maybe learned from his qualifying mishaps in Zandvoort and getting back up there and showing that he's got proper race pace and will be an interesting one to see if he makes it up to F2 next year. Then Crawford came back up at the podium, which was nice to see because he's been out... And he's been he's been kind of kind of title contender, but was knocked out of contention early on ish in the triple header. But it's nice to see him at least finishing strongly. And then obviously finally we got to see Victor Martin crowned F three champion, which granted was done rather anticlimactically and was a little bit reminiscent for him and many other fans of Abu Dhabi last year with the red flag and the safety car and all the rest of it. Um, so I'm just going to throw that over to you, Jesse. What did you make of all of that. F three at Monza, it was it was pure chaos, really. It was yeah. There's there's no easy way of piecing together exactly how things went down and uh, just sort of understanding what happened at any point in time because it was yeah just just sort of a lot going on all at one point in time. Obviously, I sat down at turn one, so we saw a fair bit of action across the weekend there, but a lot of the action was spread out across the track, which is a good sign for the racing. It means that it was more than just simply dive bomb overtakes into turn one. We had cars going side by side through turns, really battling out around the circuit. There was definitely a note of sort of not necessarily sourness, but disappointment in the sort of flat ending almost of Victor Martins being announced sort of winner by not default but just the fact that it had to sort of go to a steward's inquiry and everyone sort of sit down and working it all out as opposed to it just happening on track and knowing what results would provide who was the championship winner i mean you say that we lost um jack crawford in that title battle sometime around i think it would have been right about either potentially the red bull ring or hungary probably the red bull ring with the feature race there where he came home 22nd and started losing up points the only between the feature race in Hungary and the sprint race in Zandvoort, he only finished in the points once in those five races. So I think that was been... one of those ones where it was mathematically possible, but even by three standards, some real, real craziness had to happen for him to, to pull that one off. Yeah, it was going to take a, a lot of odds to pull him back into contention for that one. Again, just sort of watching Leclerc, Stanek, Hajar, Behrman, Maloney, Martins all really sort of duking it out for a title with, it must have been, what's that, six to power of six, I can't remember what that is mathematically as a thing, I could probably work it out and figure out how many different permutations there are of having that probable win, but it was a big spreadsheet that sort of was going round sort of between the journalists and on Twitter going, 
it's going to take a while, even if we finished under racing conditions. I think it would have taken a good sort of few minutes for everyone to go, okay, they're the race results. How does that translate to the championship? Um, it did amuse me that for F2, the social media people had post out showing if Porcher finishes here, Drogovic needs to finish here to become champion. Bear in mind, there's still one round to go in the championship, whereas for the final round in Formula 3, no such post was there because, like you said, there's too much information, too many different combinations for that. That by the time you finish reading it, it's been about two weeks and the race has been over already and you already know the answer. Yeah, you sort of, I think six to, with the exclamation mark after it mathematically is about 720, which implies there's probably somewhere in the region of well over 100 different ways that this result, race result could have finished because of the multiple different sort of ways that you get faster lap points and everyone gets different points in different locations. But yeah, just the chaos of it all was typically F3. I think the quality of the racing was good quality racing, though. I think that's the key thing to take away from it. By this point in the season, drivers had really honed the talent and the craft. And like we said, with Zane Maloney running away with things really towards the tail end of this championship proved that there is a good driver in that. But the key thing I noticed was Victor Martin's winner by consistency, something we've definitely seen through the feeder series this season. The man's only got two race wins to his name, feature race in Bahrain and feature race in Catalonia. There are drivers ranking below him with the same amount, if not more, race wins. Isaac Kadjar brings to mind three race wins across the season, and you're thinking, hmm, interesting, but... And those races were fairly early on as well. I mean, Bahrain's the first race, and... Catalonia is what the third third race yeah exactly so he hasn't won since then so he must have got several podium points finishes in that time yeah I mean he's got one two three four second place finishes he only finished out of the points uh once the other three times he didn't score points were retirements so again his consistency across the season has been unrelenting and you look at basically everyone below him has more than two two or more non-point scoring finishes and I mean finishes and not retired so that's that goes to show that his consistency was what really won him that championship and you got a, a hint of that in uh, Formula 3 in Monza especially it wasn't brilliant from him but it was consistent P10 and P4 it's points and that's exactly what he needed and Jacob as a long time now F3 fan if I forget the last uh, race of the F3 season last year, but for 2020, it was Mugello, another Italian track, Monza this year. Italy is a good place to finish off an F3 campaign and always seems to provide excellent racing action. Should we kind of make it an unofficial rule to have a final round for F3 to be at the very least at Monza, if not another Italian track? I mean, it just seems that every time we go there, doesn't it? Yeah, 2020 was fantastic, I think. Who won that one? Piastri won that one, didn't he? And I think Sargent unluckily lost the, out that one. And Yeah, that was a fantastic race. Last year's final round was in Russia, and surprisingly, it was actually a very good round. I think that is when Prima got beaten to the title by... Who did, who did they get beaten? Trident. So, yeah, an Italian team won there. But, yeah, I think, you know, next season, I guess we have to end in Imola. But maybe that won't be so good based on previous races we've seen there. But I think that, yeah, it's a fantastic place to end. You know, you've got Prima there. You've got, you know, the Italian fans. You've got good weather. It's a great track. We know that the cars can race well, though. We've seen, you know, on track for the two races this year and last year, I think, 
F3 wasn't that one last year, was it? But it's been there in the past, and we know exactly what the track's about. So I think that, um, yeah, it's a fantastic way to end, and hopefully they end there next year and not somewhere in the uh, desert or, you know, who knows? They might actually end at Bushy Park next year. Who knows? If, if Zoom Milloy keeps performing the way he is, they might make a last addition to it, which I'll stick with you for a minute there, Jacob, then as we move into our winners and spinners. Normally we would have it just for the one round, but as a triple header, you're going to have to be a little extra harsh perhaps or over generous maybe depending who would you say is your winner from the three rounds that we've had to finish off the 2022 f3 season winner from the three rounds i'm not going to say martin's although he showed consistency that's a little bit of a boring answer you know we don't do boring answers on this podcast so i'm going to go with i'm going to go with maloney you know he wasn't really I would say around, around the middle of the season, he wasn't necessarily too much in title contention and he was sort of a rank outsider towards the end, but his consistency of results towards the end and obviously the win in Spa and stuff, his performance in Zandvoort and here as well in uh, Monza. So I think they really showed that there's a, uh, you know, a star there for the future and he came onto my radar, I think it was in Imola. I think he could have won that feature race and I think he crashed out from the lead. So, you know, he's certainly got talent there and, you know, it'd be good to see what he does next year. So I'm going to say for the consistency and the fantastic Barbudan anthem, I'm going to go with Zane Maloney. It's been drummed into your head like propaganda at this point. You can't unhear it. <laughs> yeah, I've got Bushy Park tattooed all over my uh, and posters up everywhere. So that more. gives me a great idea for when we go out on a night out. Some point with Jacob Jesse, we need to get him drunk enough to get that tattooed somewhere. Get the outline of uh, Bushy Park tattooed on his arm or something. I was going to say it is owned by Zane Maloney's dad, so uh, Mark Maloney. But it does look like a fun little circuit, actually. So I reckon we should watching F1 undercut podcast trip. You're you're paying for that one. I'm broke after Monza, which will lead me into who is your winner for these three rounds? Then it's a strong question. I mean, it's been such a chaotic field to try and sort of pull it apart and piece together something from it I if know. it helps i'm not asking the whole season it's just the three rounds just those three rounds okay if you're going to push me to an answer uh ollie bearman i think is gonna really take it for me we had obviously double podium finish in spa we've had double podium finish for the guy in monza zanvort bit of an outlier there for him possibly just sort of a rough track to try and get a handle on but uh yeah for me ollie bearman is uh he was the one I was kind of rooting for for the championship as well, and there was there was a strong chance he was going to get it. So, yeah. And so for my winner, they've both been taken away by you two, so I'll just expand on it slightly. It's Bearman and Maloney again for me. I think they're both. I mean, Maloney three feature race wins in a row and second in the championship. By the end of that, it's not too bad at all for a rookie season. And with Bearman, like you say, you were thinking about how close it was getting, especially in Monza and with that sprint race. Um, just performance by him, it was just phenomenal to see. And I think they both, if they both stay in Formula 3 for next year, they definitely got to be title contenders. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, it's going to be a spicy season of Formula 3 to watch. As it always is. <laughs> As it always is, says, said by loyalist and dedicated fan that you are, Jacob. <laughs> um, Spinner for me for these three rounds before I maybe have to see it off you for me it's Sacco Sullivan which is disappointing because he's been quite impressive at points this year but he only had one point scoring finish in the entire six races for that make up the three rounds which you expect more from him and it's a bit of an ouch way to, to end up end off your, your 2022 season so someone who definitely needs to come back into F3 next year not progress up and 
little bit disappointing because there was a lot of promise there, which, uh, again, rookie season, so maybe make all the mistakes now and get it all over for next year and see what you can you can do with my tough love there. As we've proven on this podcast before, when I need the driver, they then do well. So here's hoping that this works. Jacob, who disappointed you in every which way possible for the F3 triple header? I'm not going to be too harsh, but I'm, I think Isaac Hadjar, actually. I think, you know, he what up to the midpoint season, I think he was one of the certainly one of the favourites. He had three wins by that point, and I don't think he's had a podium since, I want to say, Austria, maybe. I might be wrong on that, but I certainly, certainly not one since then. Um, yeah, and he didn't really, you know, he had a few mistakes in qualifying. Qualifying, you know, summed up for me on Friday where he put it into the ball. And you could tell how disappointed he is. You know, I know there's a fantastic driver in there. There's been rumours, you know, banded around that he might be up to F2 and beyond, you know, Helmut Marco's radar. And we know how much of a curse that can be at times. So he needs to, you know, have a summer. Well, we're still in the summer, basically, aren't we? Have a long off-season of winter as well to sort of recollect his thoughts and come back strong. And I would say stick an F3 next year, Isaac. Come back and I think you'll have a great chance of winning the Formula 3 title. But the last few rounds didn't really fill me with much confidence. But, you know, he's only young and he's certainly got a lot to prove still, so... Definitely. Jesse, how about yourself? Spinner for the tail end of the season. I'm going to be... Again, it might sound brutal, Arthur Leclerc. I mean, again, someone's supposed to be fighting for a championship and in the final sort of six racing events, the highest position you bag is fifth. That's that's not good enough. While we're sort of talking the consistency of Victor Martins at the top end of the field, if you're sort of not breaking P5, that's... Uh, and that's that's not good, really. And it's it's not putting enough on the table to put yourself forward for that championship fight. You're almost sort of kissing it goodbye too early on when you... You, by all accounts, could still get it, and then of course we saw. A, I think it was a triplet of yeah races where he finished outside the points, the Spa feature race, and then both races in Zandvoort P twelve. Yeah, there was there was a lot left on the table for Martin Leclerc, and I think he'll potentially rue that one. I'm gonna pass it forward, and we're gonna stay on the spinner note for a moment there because I want to make sure that we end this podcast on a positive note with with our winners of the season, which we may go back to a three or something between now and 2023 to do a more in-depth review of the 2022 season, for which Jacob is already pestering me to be a part of, and doesn't need to because he's obviously quite good. But I've got a whole back catalogue of notes ready to go. My spinner of the season does echo Jesse's spinner for the triple header, which is Arthur Leclerc. It seems to be a case of close but no cigar for him. And we've touched about it already in this podcast episode several times, but it just seems to be a case of there's a lot expected from him. Is that because of Charles? And if it was, if he was the only Leclerc there or if Charles had fizzled out and wasn't where he is today, would that how would that impact our, our perception of him and would be, be be as harsh on him? It's 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 impossible to know because we'll never we'll never have it in advance to that. But for someone who it's kind of there's elements that what he's good at, he's good at. Like he's really good at coming through the field. But like you saw in Zenfort, you qualify terribly, you can only make it to 12, you're not scoring points. So as impressive as that is, you need a kind of an inspired strategy like Correa had, for example, in Budapest, where 
with what was it seven laps to go you make up 18 places because you pit for tires last minute and are like four seconds quicker than the lead car and just do an absolutely stonking time of it and for someone who's in his second season of Formula three you it's similar to Drogovic in that you're expected to drive well or drive to a particular higher standard because you have this more experience especially if it's f3 it's not the most difficult of of the, of the feeder series because obviously it's supposed to get harder as they go along and when that doesn't happen and you've got that experience it kind of ekes of what do we do with you now and so like how i like what jacob said earlier it's going to be very interesting to see what happens to him in the next 12 months jacob who for you is your spinner of the season I was going to say Leclerc, but I want to be different. So I'm not going to say Leclerc because I don't want to bore everyone at home. So I've gone with one that might come across as very, very, very harsh and a name we haven't actually mentioned yet on this podcast. I'm going with that of Gregoire Saucy. And people might think, people, and people might be thinking, why am I going to, why am I picking Gregoire Saucy? What's he ever done? Gregoire Saucy came into the season with a lot of promise. He absolutely dominated from the regional by Alpine, I want to say, last year. He won the championship with flying colours. I think he won one of the most races that a driver had won in that series. And he ended up this season with 30 points in a car that, you know, obviously the cars are fairly equal, but obviously there's small setup changes between the teams, as we know in feeder series. And he ended up the season, I think, with one podium. And we, we never really, you know, he didn't challenge a pole. He never really got close to a win. And he just sort of went into mediocrity, almost to the point I remember watching... Um, Formula, I remember watching the F3 with my brother and he was like, oh, that's a really interesting name. You know, he doesn't really watch it. But he's like, oh, that's a saucy, what an interesting name. And I suddenly remembered that Gregoire was still in the series. I, I'd forgotten about him. So I was like, oh my God, Gregoire Saucy's still here. So for that, I think, for a name that came in with a lot of promise, if you've watched sort of the Formula region as well and followed the sort of Formula, you know, the lower categories on Twitter, you would certainly know the name. And I think... He certainly had a bit more promise than the results he delivered this year, but it's, it's certainly virgin on the harsh side. But you know, we are you know we have been harsh on this podcast before. So sorry, Gregoire, you're my spinner. Yeah, I'll give you kudos actually for the Gregoire saucy thing because I mean you look at I've pulled up his results from Formula Regional last year. Uh, he clear, won by damn near seventy points clear of the guy in second place. And you look at the other names he was up against in that series. You've got Zayn Maloney, Isaac Hadjar, Franco Colapinto, uh, David Vidalez, William Alitalo. You've got all the names that he had come up against in F3 that he absolutely dominated. And then for whatever reason, just couldn't pull out much of a strong fight against some of the same names. Zayn Maloney sort of trumped him. And you're thinking, oh, that's that's not gone very well. Who, who is your spinner of the season then, Jesse? Yeah, carrying on on my negative note then, if if I might. Um, it's it's sort of tricky to pick because F3 can be such a sort of, not necessarily cutthroat, but it doesn't take much to have all of a sudden a bad spin of luck. Um, yeah, I don't feel it'd be fair to dunk on Arthur Leclerc again. I might have to go down the region of something like Franco Colapinto, who sort of looked pretty strong from the outset. I mean, we had a win in the sprint race in Imola and then a couple of other podiums scattered throughout the season but there was this sort of horrible inconsistency from him a lot of retirements a lot of finishes outside the points that just really didn't lend him to having a good year Fair enough dare to be different but so like I said we don't end this on a completely sour and depressing note we do have our winners of the season which I'm going to take the easy route out of this and say that it's Victor Martens because whilst we went through his kind of trade cycle of this season and only having two wins somehow. 
um, over the angle of the course of what feels like a very long season. He's proven he, he got close to it last year and he proved that um, he's got what it takes this year and that consistency is very much key. And you need to, you can take the Dennis Howard and the Oscar Piastri route, but that is not the only method to, to winning a championship or at least doing well. And he did it, I think two seasons is about the right amount of time you want to spend in F3 if you are seriously serious about making it into F1 and applying everything you've learned in your rookie season to your second season so that you can hook it up nicely. Similar to what Wally Berman's done this year and a couple of others that were fighting it out at the very end. So it's going to be very interesting to see what he can do next year, especially when we maybe compare it to Dennis Helga's season this year in terms of how our first season was dominated, someone who's been consistent. Regardless of how well Dennis Howard does in F2 next year, he's already got that first banking year in. Whereas if you kind of see a reversal of that and then see Victor Martin's absolutely knocking it out of the park, and it's going to be very interesting to see if he comes into any of the F2 tests that they do in Abu Dhabi in November, or indeed if he comes into the F2 round as a one-off for any particular team there, as it's not too... Um, audacious to think so Victor Martins yeah Surpri- surprising winner in some ways but also very well deserved Jesse who do you I mean, I've given you the obvious answer but again I'm going to ask you to be different if you can I could yeah I could simply work my way down the list and go oh I'll go for Jose Maloney I'll go for Nolly Behrman I think driver that impressed me the most uh, pick someone a bit different um yeah, I mean, possibly Isaac Hadjar had a pretty strong season of things. I think it wouldn't be it would be fair to describe him as having a pretty competent season. So I think driver of the year, yeah, I think Isaac Hadjar wouldn't be too far shelf that one for me. Counterbalance Jacob's meanness earlier. Yeah. I wasn't being that mean, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to create drama in there so people listen to us, Jacob. Play, play the game. <laughs> He's editing it like it's trying to survive. That's how we should be editing some of this, I think. I'm surprised you've not done that with some value may savagery already, but we'll, we'll leave that for another time. Jacob, who is your winner for the season offhand? Well, naturally, it's got to be Laszlo Toff, hasn't it, in 27th place? <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know how he's still in it. the clip that we used to promote on Instagram. Yeah, that, there we go. That's the, that's the selling point. Um, I don't know what he's still doing in Formula 3, actually, but that's another point. He always, he's been here for years, and he's ever scored a point. Um, who is my driver of the season? I'm going to go with, hmm, say, Maloney. I think that, you know... Solid. Where's he from? I hadn't... He's from Barbados and that famous track, Bushy Park, if you've heard of it. You know, other tracks are available, of course, but Bushy Park. The Barbados' very own famous Bushy Park, as I'm led to believe. Um, I'm going to go with him because he's got three victories this season. I was impressed with him in majority of the rounds. He got pole in his second outing in Imola, which is very impressive. Was it wet? I can't remember if it was wet. If it was wet, it was even more impressive. I think I think most of the weekend was damp. To be fair, most of the F one action was pretty damp as well. But that's another story. That's an aside. Excuse for crashing out. I think I think that's most weeks, and it's never always damp. Um, uh, yeah, so he, really impressive. Um, he came back into his own in the second half of the season, put his back 
put himself back into title contention where he'd sort of fade a little bit and you know he certainly made a good step up from what was a, a fairly impressive season last year in Formula Regional he finished fourth and he finished eighth I think the season before in Euro Formula so he's certainly working his way up so next year the natural progression must be the title so you know keep your eyes peeled next year everyone I think he'll be on to good things but he is my driver of the season or winner of the season if you like and as far as I'm aware, not yet tied with any young driver program, so it's going to be interesting to see who starts taking an interest in him there. And if it's not Red Bull, who would it be? And what kind of path can we see for him over the next year? Because you think F3 again next year, maybe he's going to go and win the title, hopefully. F2, a couple of years there. If we're looking at that, it's around 2025-2026 territory. If it's 2026, that could be very interesting indeed for him. So who knows? Maybe Barbados has a world champion in the making there who knows there is there is that chance but obviously as we know there's not a lot of seats in f1 so we'll have to see but that's a long way down the line but i don't want to think too negatively now no and, and as always with formula three you genuinely cannot predict it and you wouldn't even want to try because it would just make your head explode so who knows maybe everything goes terribly wrong next year and we have some unknown person from f4 or even w series coming in absolutely trancing it who knows we would have to, have to wait and see Maybe when we get back around to F3 at some point in the future and we're reviewing this season and previewing uh, the 23 season, we'll have some more driver names confirmed there. I will just add one last thing before we conclude then, Jesse. W Series drivers, we've got an F3 test coming up with a bunch of them. If we're going to be optimistic about it, we've got to think that this test is done for a purpose other than just showing off that we've got women. So who from either that test or from W Series would you like to see in Formula 3 next year? Uh, let me just refresh my mind as to who's going ahead with this F3 test. Teresa Babakova, although she's fractured her hand, so she's... Okay, so Norea Marty, Abby Pulling and Chloe Chambers. I think Abby Pulling is going to be the one to watch in this test, although I wouldn't be surprised if we see something interesting from Chloe Chambers. I reckon there's a lot still to come from young Chloe and a bit of uh, race prep, race training and some good coaching. We could see a very formidable racer come out of there. But yeah, I'm going to stick with my guns. It was something I mentioned in the F2 podcast we did following on from the uh, F2 triple header about... Uh, amping up the ever-wonderful Abby Pulling. So if in doubt, if we can't get Jamie Chadwick in there, we're going to mention Abby Pulling and just hedge our bets on those. I don't want to treat Abby Pulling as a second-best uh, Jamie Chadwick. No, it's more kind of, yeah. if we were going to prioritise two, we're going to prioritise these two and yeah. get them in. Jacob, who from W Series would you like to see in F3 next year, either from doing the test or generally from the grid? Well, I think, you know, it's a name that's synonymous with W Series. Everyone's probably heard of her by now. Jamie Chadwick, I'd like to see her have a go. But, you know, you've got to think that we've had this conversation before, haven't we? That, you know, I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. You know, what we she's won two, is it two W Series she's won? This will be her third one. So you've got to think that she could have been in, you know, Formula 3 from a couple of years ago. But you've got to think that you've got to start somewhere. So I think maybe a promotion would be good, but Abby Pulling is another name as well that would be great. Norea Marty might be good as well. But you never know, as we've talked about before, Timo, that maybe Jamie Chadwick and a few of these other drivers should look maybe stateside towards the Indy Lights programme. But that is obviously a completely different kettle of fish. So we might get you on for a W Series review guest spot as well. And we can talk, we can go mad about it then as well. And to me, I'm going to go a little bit different again just because I think that someone like Marta Garcia, who deserves to have the chance as well, she's in her third season of W Series as well now and is 
pretty consistent on the whole. She's getting points and podiums, and you've seen drivers do a lot less to get into F3 and subsequently F2, and in some cases for being very mean F1. So I think, yeah, let's have a different Marty in there. We'll have we'll have, uh, we'll have her in there. Oh, sorry, different Garcia. I'm getting all confused now with my Garcia and W Series drivers, but Marty Garcia is going to stick with anyway. We'll get there, and hopefully one of us at least is right about this. But in the meantime, that is all we have time for on this week's episode, or this edition rather, depends on when you listen to this and when this comes out. So we will be back again soon when we'll probably be previewing or reviewing the Singapore Grand Prix. So stick around and go and check that out when that drops in a few weeks' time. Again, all dependent on when you listen to this. So in the meantime, Jesse, where can people find you? Um, in the next five minutes, probably going to sleep. Unclear as to how much sense I've made on this podcast, given the fact that I'm verging on delirious. But uh, when I'm... Oh, that's reassuring to hear. Um, but when I'm not absolutely dog-tired, you can find me on... Oh, I'm trying to remember where I work for now. Classic Car Weekly. Uh, you can also find me on social media, where I'm usually on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm putting together a big dump of pictures from my weekend at Monza. And... Ultimately, I will have some more pictures coming from the Silverstone Classic and Goodwood Revival this weekend. So plenty more racing and car-based stuff over there if you like that sort of thing. Jacob, aside from finding down the local pub where you're always up for a good chat about anything most sport-related, is there anything you'd like to plug? I'm probably going to spend the next six, seven, eight months hibernating until the wonderful, lovely Formula 3 returns. Completely understandable. As for myself, you can find me pretty much everywhere as I just seem to like punishment for, for, for doing a bit of everything. So I'm over on Is It Fast, on the Curves, Nitro RX Podcast, Paddock's Royalty, Instagram. I don't know how I do it all. I don't know how I keep that busy, but here we go. So it's all good fun again for me. That is it for this episode, though. So as I said before, be sure to check us out for the F2 Triple Header episode, because that's also great. This is one we're joined by inside F2's Lawrence Griffiths. And make sure to join us again for the Singapore F1 Grand Prix, which will be soon. I can probably say it's soon. So until then, goodbye.